Our scripture reading for this morning is Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. You guys may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Lord, our Savior, our God, would you today speak to us from your word? Not just so that we would hear, but so we would receive and be changed. Lord, your kingdom, your presence, your blessing, these are the things that we long for. To see you as you are and to walk in your ways. Lord, would you work mightily Would you work in power as your people gather around your word today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, friends. It's great to see you all. If you haven't done so already, please take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Here at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Matthew. And today, uh, we begin um, several weeks in um, the first teaching section where Jesus is teaching Um, in the book of Matthew. Today's sermon is entitled, Blessed. So, in my family, I have a nickname. I'm belovedly known as the fun killer. (laughs) And those of you who know me know that that's not inaccurate. I have fun in my own special way. But we're coming to a passage where Jesus is going to be telling his disciples to think and believe and speak and live in a certain way. And so here's the question before us. What is God's goal with ethical standards? What is God's goal when he says, be like this and don't be like that? Is he just the divine fun killer? Thank you. I have one person listening. Just one. I have broader goals for all of you. And most of you chuckle here like, well, of course God's not the divine fun killer. But let me tell you something you should do differently. And the hair on the back of your neck will stand up a little bit. And you'll bow up a little bit. And you'll be like, don't you tell me what to do. Which means we just don't like these ethical directives. 
Friends, I believe one of the primary purposes of the Beatitudes, this passage that we're looking at this morning, is to say that when God gives directives and God lays out expectations and standards, his goal is to lead his people into blessing. It is not to take away all the fun. It's much more like this. You're settling for stupidity when you could have lasting joy. You're settling for silliness when you could have something that will last forever. All the way back to the law of Moses recorded for us in the book of Exodus, all the way to the Beatitudes and all the way to the end of the scripture. When the Lord gives commands and directives and law to his people, what he's doing is saying, yes, I want you to live this way. Yes, this will honor my name. And it truly is the better way. It truly is the better So I need to do two things this morning. I need to introduce us to this larger section called the Sermon on the Mount. And then I need us to consider these 12 verses known as the Beatitudes. What we need to see this morning is that following Jesus is a true blessing both for the present and for the eternal. Following Jesus truly is a path of blessing for the present and for the eternal. And ultimately, what Jesus is doing in this sermon is he is laying out for his disciples the way forward. This is what it looks like to follow me. So first point, if you want to take notes, is welcome to the sermon. Perhaps some of you like, welcome to this sermon, but that's not what I mean. I mean, welcome to what's known in the scripture as the Sermon on the Mount. Verse five, chapter five begins this way. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's teaching those that he has called to follow him. So what is ultimately taking place in this sermon is Jesus is saying to those who have said, I will follow you. He's saying, this is what it will look like to follow me. And the sermon spans chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, and we know it ends in verse 28 when we're told, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. So, So Matthew is very clearly saying This is where the teaching begins, and this is where the teaching ends. And the theme running through these three chapters that we know as the Sermon on the Mount is what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then if we want to take up some of the later language of the New Testament, we might say in the the verbiage of Galatians 5, what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. We might say in some of the theological verbiage of the day, what it looks like to be sanctified, what it looks like to live as a Christian. Jesus is saying in this sermon, 
This is what I'm calling you to if you are going to follow me. The Sermon on the Mount then becomes a profound gift to us as people of God because Jesus isn't physically walking the earth anymore. We can't physically follow him out of here today, hang a left, go have lunch, chat, hear what he has to say about this sermon and what could have been better. Like we can't do that because he's not walking the earth. And so his teachings then help us understand what it looks like to follow him. So what is taking place in this sermon is not Jesus saying, if you will come and do these things, then I will welcome you into my kingdom. That is not what is taking place there. Actually, we're told that his message was, chapter 4, verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He went throughout Galilee teaching and calling people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand and people have been following him. And now he, what he's saying is, now that you're following me, I'm going to show you what I want from you. Okay? So the purpose of the sermon is to shape the people of Jesus. He's speaking to the disciples. He's given them, giving them a, like a manifesto, a guidance for what the community of faith is to look like. And let's remember, the kingdom of Jesus is a community of faith and not a nation state and not an earthly kingdom. It's a community of faith. So Jesus is shaping the community of faith. And ultimately, the community of faith is intended to be wholly devoted to him and not to any other king or any other kingdom. So welcome to the Sermon on the Mount. For the next six weeks, we are going to consider what it looks like to follow Jesus in the words of Jesus. Now, before we leave this point, I just want to say a few things. Number one, there are ethical standards laid out, expected thoughts, expected convictions, expected like joys, expected things laid out throughout the Sermon on the Mount. The purpose of these is to lead God's people on the path with Jesus and into God's blessing. So if you're here today and you're exploring Christianity, you're exploring the idea of church, you're wondering what it might mean to be a Christian or to be in Christ, the answer is not do everything in the Sermon on the Mount. The answer is back in chapter 4. Repent and follow the King. Jesus is the King. Turn away from sin, turn away from self, turn away from rebellion, and follow Jesus. The purpose of the sermon is to say, as you follow Jesus, this is where Jesus is going to lead you. In some ways, the sermon is a roadmap of where Jesus is going to take you. Um, second, Jesus is the king of the kingdom. So it's fitting for him to decide what the kingdom looks like. So there is a sense in which it doesn't matter if we like what he's saying. 
if it fits our expectations, if it fits our cultural moment, if it fits our desires. He's the king. He's moving. The kingdom's moving with him. It will always be about him, and it is fitting for him to decide what the kingdom looks like. Third, if we don't like Jesus, and we don't like the way of the Jesus, we're not going to enjoy the kingdom. The path of Jesus is the path of great joy. So now... With that introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, there's so much more to say. We have six weeks to say it. Let's look at these first, uh, or verses 2 through 12. So our second point, new value system. I'm, I'm trying to find new ways even to talk about this so that it draws us in. But a value system is a set of beliefs, a set of convictions, a set of values, a set of things which we enjoy that shape how we live, talk, and carry out our days. And ultimately, what I believe these 11 verses of Scripture are calling us to is a a new value system, one shaped by Jesus. And he's going to show us how to follow him and what citizenship in his kingdom looks like. Um, So before we get to the actual Beatitudes themselves, I want to caution us. So I want to try to start with a caution. I want to caution us not to read them like this. If you have this quality then God will give you this particular blessing, okay? Don't read it like that. Read it like this. Jesus, the king of the kingdom, is going to be doling out these particular blessings, and if you have this particular quality, you'll enjoy the kingdom, and you'll enjoy the blessing. Does that distinction make sense? So let me boil it down for you like this. If your last name's Mosley, and you love Mexican food, then you will be satisfied at noon today. Because we're serving Mexican food. You tracking with me? So it's not like if you get your loves right, then mama will give you a tortilla. It's like this. We're serving Mexican. And if you love Mexican, then you're going to be satisfied in this lunch. And if you don't love Mexican, mama labored hard over it, so you better keep your mouth shut and pretend to love Mexican. But that has nothing to do with the Beatitudes. But it's just important that we don't read these Beatitudes in this if-then kind of thing. like Because we say, this isn't about earning salvation, but it kind of is about earning God's love. That's not what it is. It's like, this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is what the kingdom is. This is what he's building. This is what he's blessing. And the invitation of the Beatitudes is to move from the pathway of the world into the pathway of the kingdom. And the more we move into the pathway of the kingdom, the more joy and blessing we will find. Another way to think about this, I'm really belaboring this point because I think 
I think we all read these wrongly, and I may have preached it badly at 9 o'clock this morning and trying to write that wrong. Um, but if I drew you a map, and I said, I want you to follow these directions explicitly, and the terminating point of the map is out there in the middle of the lake, okay? If you didn't know there's a lake in our town. Anyway, it's out there in the middle of the lake. If you follow the map, you're going to get wet because the map is leading you to water, okay? So the, the, the essence of the Sermon on the Mount is saying, like, we're going to follow Jesus down this path. And as we follow Jesus down this path, we're going to enjoy Jesus and the blessings of Jesus. And so these Beatitudes are actually calling us to a new set of values, a new ethos, a new set of desires, a new set of hopes that will shape us, okay? And so the key word here is blessed. Or if you speak King James, blessed, okay? It's up to you. I don't care. That's the key word. It's, it's here nine times. And here's what this word means. It means to receive the tangible blessing and favor of God. It means to receive the tangible blessing and favor of God. So as we follow Christ into the work of the kingdom, we're going to enjoy the favor of God because God is always celebrating the kingdom. But here's the other reality about these blessings. What's laid out here is antithetical to what's hardwired into us by the world. Our world says blessed are the successful because they're better than you. Blessed are the wealthy because they get everything that you can't afford. Blessed are the people with titles because they can tell you what to do. Blessed are the people with stuff because they can take it to goodwill. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. But... Um, <laughs> you know, when I lived in Williamson County, um, I didn't live in Williamson County, I worked in Williamson County, I feel like I should clarify that. Um, when I worked in Williamson County, we went to get a storage unit for our church, and they were like, man, we're, we're out. And I'm like, what do you mean you're out? Like, all these people have like 8,000 square feet houses, like, how are we out? And he's like, well, they have five sets of furniture, and they just keep the extra four in here for when they change their minds. And I'm like, Okay, whatever. So I don't know why I'm telling you that story except to say that the blessings of the Beatitudes are, are quite antithetical to the, the Beatitudes of the world, so to speak. Um, but the more we align ourselves with Christ and the heart of Christ, the more I think we will truly enjoy the blessing of Christ. But, but the first step in the battle is to believe that the blessing of Christ truly is worth it. And I think that's what this passage is calling us to, is to believe that the blessing of Christ truly is worth it. Okay. So let's do a little show of hands quiz game here, just to make sure you're still paying attention. Um, how many of you have been a Christian for more than 10 years? Hold it up high. Okay, you can put it down. Now, go back to when you first became a Christian. 
And think of something that you changed in your behavior or thought because you saw it in the Bible. Like, but that was the only reason you changed it. Like, like okay, Jesus says do this, so I'm going to do it. All right, you, got, you got something? Now, looking back over 10 years, how many of you would say, oh, and I'm so glad that I changed that? You guys tracking with the question? How many of you can tangibly put your hand on that? Oh, man. Okay. Well, we're not making my point. Um, the first service is more holy than you because they all put their hands in the air. I, I just think about realities of when 19-year-old Jamie became a follower of Jesus. And I would read through the Bible and it would, it would say like, like, think this way, do this, stop doing that. And to 19-year-old me, that all felt so foreign. But to 43-year-old me, I look back and I'm like, oh, this is so good. It's such a blessing. Um, and I'm so glad that 19-year-old me, for whatever reason, trusted the way of Jesus, even though it didn't make sense and maybe it didn't feel right. I think that's the invitation of these Beatitudes. So, the other thing is that the blessing's not just vague, but Jesus makes the blessing very tangible and very real. Verse 3, first blessing. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The people of Jesus truly experience the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, they shall be Comforted, the people of Jesus truly and tangibly are comforted by God in all forms of hardship. Verse 5, they shall inherit the earth. Meaning along with King Jesus and the people of Jesus will ultimately Enjoy him forever when all the enemies are vanquished and the foes are gone. Verse 6. They shall be satisfied. Truly satisfied in the righteous kingdom of Jesus. Verse 7. They shall receive God's mercy and bask in it. Verse 8, they shall see God, truly see God face to face as he is unhindered by sin. And the Apostle John will later write that to see him face to face as he truly is, is to be like him. Verse 9, they shall be called the sons of God. The accepted ones, the welcomed ones, those who are of the family. Verse 12. Verse 10, again, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 12, great reward in the heavenly realm. The blessing of the way of Jesus is a belonging to the kingdom, a comforting by God, an inheriting of the earth, of being satisfied in God, a 
recipient of mercy, uh, seeing God as he is, called the sons of God and of great heavenly reward. And as I read that list, if you're like, yes, yes, give me more of that, O Lord, then you're on the path of the kingdom and he's going to give it to you because of Christ and because of what Christ has done. And if you're like, man, I, whatever, whatever. Then these beatitudes, these, the, the, the imperatives of the beatitudes, this, it's the pathway to move with the king where these blessings flow and flow and flow and flow in such a way that they become great joy to us. So what are, what is the ethos of the kingdom? What is the mindset to which Jesus is inviting us to? First, it is that all blessing comes from Christ, and that is the greatest blessing. But Jesus goes further than that. He could have just had one beatitude. Blessed are the people who follow me, for they will know God. That could have been it. But he offers more, so we have to say he's offering more for a reason. Number one. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit refers to actual spiritual bankruptcy, understanding that before the Lord we have nothing, before the Lord we are unworthy, that our acceptance in the kingdom and in the family is totally because of what God has done for us. Spiritual bankruptcy, spiritual poverty, spiritual humility is the benchmark of the kingdom. And those who are poor in spirit will enjoy the kingdom because that's where Jesus is moving. And those who are not will struggle. Second, Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I say mourn, you think funeral. That's not wrong, bear with me. Mourning is sorrow, true sorrow, and a righteous longing within a fallen World, sorrow and righteous longing within a fallen world. And then when we experience death and we experience brokenness and we experience illness and we experience hurt and we experience fractured, fractured relationships, those are all symptoms of a fallen world. My sin is a symptom of a fallen world. Our sin is a symptom of a fallen world. The world's rebellion against God is grievous. And mourning over those things, sorrow and longing for it to be different, will be comforted in the kingdom because the kingdom is about undoing the brokenness. But if we love the brokenness, we won't be comforted in the kingdom because the kingdom will be vitally uncomfortable 
to us. Because the kingdom's where the brokenness is being remedied through Jesus the Savior. Number three. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is not a word that we use regularly in our vocab. But meek means Humble and appropriately gentle. Meek means humble and appropriately gentle. An antonym of meek would be harsh, angry, and tyrannical. So Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Because Jesus, the king, The one person to do righteous anger righteously carried himself with meekness. He left the heavenlies, took on the form of man. Taking on the form of man, he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. You're like, pastor, where are you getting that? From the Bible, Philippians chapter 2. Blessed are the meek, says Jesus, for they shall inherit the earth. Friends, Jesus is right and not your favorite influencers on social media. I, too, believe we have a manhood crisis in our culture. But I don't think chest-thumping bravado is the answer. I think Jesus is the answer. Let's follow him into the kingdom. Let's devote our ways to him. Let's let him shape who we are. And then, then the church will be filled with godly men who glorify Jesus. Not when we get bossy and order people around. Blessed are the meek. Fourth, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst, these are those baseline yearning words. Like if you have teenagers, they're always hungering and thirsting. Like always. And poverty and bankruptcy are what you have. And that's not spiritually speaking. They're all, okay, hungry and thirsting. They're these baseline desires. And what Jesus is saying is if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, not being right, but for righteousness, the will and the ways of God in their totality will be satisfied in the kingdom because the kingdom is righteous and Jesus is righteous. And everything Jesus did was about bringing righteousness to bear. So if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, then in the kingdom, we will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy literally is not giving to someone what they deserve. It's compassion for those in need that moves someone to action. 
Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will see mercy. What he's saying is the kingdom's about mercy. Justice is satisfied in Christ, and the kingdom is about mercy. Every member of the kingdom except the king received mercy from God. So mercy from God toward those who are undeserving is the theme of the kingdom. So the merciful will love the mercy of the kingdom. Next, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We always remember in the scripture that heart's not about emotion. Heart's about the totality of the man. Blessed are those who have been purified, for they will see God. Jesus, our Redeemer, doesn't redeem us to leave us, but he redeems us to purify us and make us like himself. And a truly purified and cleansed from sin being will enjoy the face of the Lord. And a person left in their sin will not enjoy the face of the Lord because they will receive judgment and condemnation. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. A peacemaker is one who seeks to bring peace and reconciliation to places where there is not peace. Jesus is the great peacemaker. Ephesians 2 makes it clear to us that the peace that Jesus makes is first and foremost between sinners and God, but also between sinners and sinners. And I think that's why he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, and not blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. The peacemakers will see God, but there's another element to it here. The peace goes up, goes vertically and horizontally. We're called as those who have received the peace of Jesus to be peacemakers, seeking reconciliation with God within the church and within the world as much as the Lord would allow. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, what Jesus is saying here is those who suffer for the cause of Christ will be blessed eternally. But verse 10 ties it even closer. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is effectively saying is to walk in the way of the kingdom is to be so antithetical with the kingdom of the world that we will suffer for it. But church of Jesus, let's suffer for Jesus and for truth 
and for righteousness and not for arrogance and stupidity and bravado and things that we make up. I want to end this section like this. The way of Jesus and the way of the kingdom comes to us through Jesus. And if what I say to you is antithetical, To the words of Jesus, do not listen to me. Do not follow me. I'd appreciate it if you rebuke me personally before you call me a heretic online. But (laughs) don't follow me. If the way of Jesus is antithetical to the other preachers and theologians that you love to listen to, Don't listen to them. Follow Jesus. If the way of Jesus is antithetical to the teaching of your favorite social media influencers, don't follow your social media influencers. Follow Jesus. If the ethic of the kingdom of Jesus is different from the ethic that you would prefer, repent. If the ethic and the ethos of the kingdom of Jesus is different from what you feel like the world needs, he's the king and you're not. Follow him. And some of you might be like, Jamie, why are you so on social media and other pastors and other voices? Here's why. Our world went crazy and lost its mind in 2020. And we're all still trying to pick up the pieces. But you know what's happening as we pick up the pieces? People on the far left and people on the far right, both sides, are jumping in and saying, this is what's wrong and this is the solution. This is what's wrong And this is the solution. In the realm of politics, in the realm of schooling, in the realm of health, in the realm of church. Do you know what every this is the problem and this is the solution statement is? It's a vision of kingdom. That's what it is. Church of Jesus, we take our directives and our guidance and our pathway from Jesus and from the scripture. And we don't have to listen to everybody else out there. And I know that can be arrogant, but I just want to free you. I just want to free you. The biggest prison in the world right now is Twitter. Because everybody is offering a vision of kingdom. And maybe one out of a hundred of them are in keeping with the kingdom vision of Jesus being laid out right here in Matthew chapter 5. So some of us are 
intellectual enough and thoughtful enough and can do pros and cons enough to, to, to hold up all these visions in Jesus and make the most of it. But most of us just need to put it all down and take up the Bible and say, we're going to follow Jesus. And if, we're gonna, if we follow him, we'll go with him, we'll go where he's leading, and we'll trust that he'll work a lot of this other stuff out on our behalf. What the world needs is a clear vision of Jesus. That's what the world needs. And what I need and you need is a greater, healthy love and affection for Jesus that'll purge out all the other mess. That sounds simple, I know. But I think that's the invitation of the Beatitudes. A new value system. A new value system that tells me this is how to think. This is how to live. This is where to go. This is what I'm going to do. And if I want, if I aspire to anything for Redeemer is that we would just be a community that says Jesus and his way, it's enough. And figuring out how to be faithful to Jesus and not my sinful self is really all my days can handle anyway. Will you help me? Will you help me? What about you guys in the back? Like, 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 I think that's vision enough. So let's be those kind of people. Let's follow Jesus into the kingdom that he's building. And then from there, we can be a voice of rescue into the world that doesn't know. So our Father and our God, we pray now you would take these words which you've spoken. As much as they're true or faithful or right or good, you would work them deeply into your people and shape us by them. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and for his glory. Amen.